0: This morning, uh, we are going to look at uh, Jesus and Peter and sort of God's model of forgiveness. And as I begin, I want to say this is very personal to me. Um, I have been walking with a a, a good friend who's been dealing with a situation in their life where forgiveness has been required. Uh, And it's not been easy. It's been costly forgiveness. Um, so So a lot of this Comes out of what God has been teaching me, um, watching my friend go through this. So I'm going to pray, uh, and then we will get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of being together to come to you and worship. Lord, let us never take that for granted. And thank you for the gift of your Word, um, that it never returns void, that it's living and active and sharper. Than a double-edged sword. And I pray, Lord, that you would use it in each one of us here in this building and in the folks that are watching online at home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, so to kick things off, I want to show you a picture of a wall in my house. You can see it up there on the screen. It's orange, and there's a basketball hoop. Now, if my, in my family, if we had a family motto, it would probably be Marx's play ball in the house, because uh, we always have, uh, and as far as I'm concerned, we always will, and if you're looking at the basketball hoop, to the right of the hoop, um, kids have gone through that wall uh, more than a couple of times, and so if you, you can't see it from there, but if you were to go put your, run your hand over the wall, you would see that it's lumpy, and, and uh, we've had to replace the drywall several times. Um, and Bob has used very wisely the analogy of forgiveness where, and he talks about if somebody, if, if, if somebody comes to your house and they break your lamp, that, that forgiveness is like you absorb the cost of replacing the lamp. And that's the same way I absorb the cost, labor of, and materials of repairing the wall in my house. And it's a really good way to think about forgiveness because it means somebody does something and somebody else absorbs the cost of it. And what we're going to talk about today is taking that concept, but we're going to take it more more deep and more personal. Because a lot of times forgiveness, it's kind of funny when somebody breaks my wall and I can say, you know, I'll take care of it. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit something to laugh at, like, you know, now. But a lot of times, forgiveness in our life is not funny, and it and it isn't small, and I think what we're that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, if we think about it at a personal level, think about if how do you forgive someone if they've treated you unjustly? Maybe at work, somebody's taking credit for something you did. Maybe as a you have a friendship that's really important to you, and something's happened, and you've kind of drifted apart, you want to repair things, but the other person is less interested. It's much harder to absorb the cost of that kind of a thing. Sometimes a person who's wronged you is not a, not a believer, not a follower of Jesus, and they're playing by a different set of relationship rules than you and I are. Going even deeper, I'm, I'm very aware that for Father's Day, some people it's great. For some people, it's really terrible. You know, it's a reminder of loss, or it's a reminder of a broken relationship, or something that you didn't get to have. What if you have a relationship with a parent or a child, and deep harm has been done? Or maybe your marriage has been marred with betrayal. How do you absorb the cost of repairs for something like that? It seems easy to forgive small things, but can feel impossible to forgive bigger things. Forgiveness can be very messy, it isn't as simple as cleaning up my wall and painting over it, and it can be very costly. So this morning, we're going to take a look at Jesus and Peter and how their relationship shows us, demonstrates us God's brand of forgiveness. So as we begin, it's important to remember, Peter has failed Jesus at, at the highest level. He promised Jesus he would always stand by his side. And then he denied that he even knew Jesus three times, one of them in front of him. So he has betrayed Jesus at Jesus' greatest time of need and in the most personal betrayal a friend can have. It is fair to wonder, now we're looking at it, you know, with 2,000 years of history between that. But it would have been really fair to wonder at that time, is Peter out of the club for good? Has he crossed the line where there's just, there's no recovery, there's no coming back from that? And another thing is, can Peter forgive himself? Can Peter move forward? Some people in this room, your biggest obstacle with forgiveness isn't somebody else. It's can you forgive yourself for something that you've done? So immediately after the resurrection, Peter is singled out in the scriptures. It's interesting. The angel appears to the women in Mark Mark 16, 7. He says, go tell his disciples and Peter. Like it was important that Peter knew about this. In John chapter 20, verses 1 to 9, it says this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb And saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. This is John's gospel, and he always refers to himself as the one Jesus loved. He does not have, he has a healthy uh, self-esteem. And he said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and you don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I've always thought this was funny because it's John's words. You know, the word of God lasts forever. And so John slips this in here for all of eternity, for everyone to know he's faster than Peter. It says he bent over, John does, he bent over and looked at the strips of linen line there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Again, Peter was behind him. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, John gently reminds us again, also went inside. He saw and believed, and it says they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So in spite of Peter's really deep betrayal of Jesus, the, the immediately after, he's sought out. The angel says it. Um, the uh, Mary Magdalene came running to Simon Peter, and the others, Have they go get Peter, they want to show him all this. And so who knows what's going through Peter's mind at this point. But there seems to be a very concerted effort in the Gospels to let us know that Peter is still really important to God, even before all of the history that's going to follow that. Now, we're going to pick it up in John chapter 21. Um, Peter's returned to fishing. He's gone back to what he knows, and he has a couple of good friends that have gone with him. And we'll pick it up here, and then we'll kind of go piece by piece through this. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. Now, I think we have a lot in common with Peter here. Peter was following Jesus. The first time when they caught, had the miraculous catch of fish, he had dropped everything, all the fish, his nets, and followed Jesus. Jesus. And now that he's suffered this, he's, he's blown it, for lack of a better way to put it, he goes back to what he did before, back to what he knows. I think you and I are a lot like that. We drop whatever to follow Jesus, and we follow Christ, and then when following Christ doesn't work out the way we want, we can kind of go, go back to what we know. And that's what Peter's doing. And again, his two buddies say, we'll go with you, which is great friendship. It says, so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Familiar for Peter and those guys. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. I've actually, My wife and I have actually been to the spot where this happened on the Sea of Galilee. And it's this beautiful little spot with with a beach that's not very big. And they know right where it happened. Um, They sort of, they rank sites when you go on a Holy Land tour from A to Z. You know, Z is like nobody really knows, but people sell stuff here, so they call it that. This is what they call an A site. They know this is right where it happened. And the, the Sea of Galilee is right in front of you, and it's beautiful, and there's mountains on the other side. But it's not very big, and you can see how they can call back and forth It's not like standing on the the beach of the Atlantic Ocean. Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. When the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord, John gets it. As soon as Simon Peter heard this, he heard him say, "'It is the Lord.' He wrapped his outer outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water.'" There's a lot of talk about why Peter puts on his clothes to go in. We won't go into that now. Nobody knows. "'The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards.'" Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I'm gonna read through this next part and then we're gonna go and break it down how this connects to forgiveness. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So here's how this is a model of forgiveness, God's forgiveness. As, as we look at it together, it's important to understand the first, how God pursues Peter. It, this is, and, and it's also important to note that like this is not. This is not just how God decides to handle this situation. One thing about Jesus in the scripture, he is completely integrated at all times, meaning he has perfect integrity. So the things that he does, it's not just what he, he does, it's who he is. He can't help himself. So when they bring people to Jesus to heal them, the thing is not just that Jesus has the power to heal, it is that it is his nature to heal. It's what he does. It's who he is. It's sort of, you know, that's why he doesn't say no to people when they come to ask. It's just what he does. And so as we look at that, that's an important thing to understand. Number one, Jesus seeks Peter out. He goes where Peter is. Peter goes back to his old life fishing. He's betrayed Jesus in a way that he believes it's probably impossible to recover from. We think he's probably seen Jesus before, like post-resurrection But, you know, he's going back to fishing. You know, like, I'm out. I I blew it. Jesus goes to where Peter is. He does this over and over again for you and me. He seeks us out personally. And again, it's not just what he does. It's who he is. You as an individual person, he created you. He's fascinated by you. He loves you. You know, you see Instagram posts when we've got some friends who just had a new baby. And the baby, they take a picture of a baby, and it looks like every other baby. You know, like, they're cute, but let's face it, they look pretty similar, you know. And the Instagram post is some version of, hey, we're just completely enraptured with this person. Like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. Like, you know, and you're like, well, you know, I have some, and I think the same way about mine. The point is this. Jesus seeks you out, and he, he loves you. He loves who you are. But, but that's, that's, he seeks you. The scriptures say in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And again, it's who he is. He goes and looks for you. My father um, was a police officer for a long time. And I'll call him in a couple hours and we'll talk about uh, Father's Day. Uh, But he told me a story one time. um, One of the things that happens as a police officer is you get called when somebody's kid is missing. And so he said almost all the time that the kid is somewhere, and the parent, like, it's not, nothing bad has happened that the kid's just around. And he told me one story that stuck with me. Uh, The parents call the police, and of course, they're upset, scared, and they've got a a toddler, you know, a three-year-old or something. And they're like, we can't find them. And they're like, you know, we need to go out and scope the neighborhood, do all this stuff. And my dad said, he goes, hey, before we do that, and he says, we'll do that if we have to. Let's let us search the house again. And so they go to search the house, and the, the family had a rolled-up carpet in their in like the basement. And the little kid had crawled in the, the carpet and had fallen asleep. And, and so, and so, but the point of that is, is like you and I both know if our kid was missing, we would look. And so like we would we would seek them out. Jesus is the same way same way. Um, The first question God asked Adam and Eve after the fall in Genesis, anybody know what it is? Where are you? That's right. Where are you? He comes looking for him. Our God comes looking for us. So that's number one. That's the, the first principle of forgiveness. God seeks us out. Number two, Jesus moves toward Peter in relationship. So when we talk about, when we talk about my wall, Being smashed. And I I can remember some of the names of kids who've done it, not including my own. They've done their own damage to my house. But but like I, I could say, hey, don't worry about it. And I could take care of the repairs, but I don't have to like move meaningfully toward them in relationship for everything to be okay. And I think one thing that's unique about the forgiveness of God is when we when we fail, when we blow it, when we betray him. He does absorb the cost, but then he moves towards us in relationship. And that's really unique and really powerful. He moves towards us. He doesn't just say, yeah, yeah, you're good. You know, we're forgiven. A lot of times we think about forgiveness like, um, you know, it's for us. And the the Bible talks about that. And we'll mention that uh, briefly here. We talk about forgiveness like, oh, we've got to let go of it. So we're going to be okay. That's true. But that's not, that's not all of forgiveness, and that is not the kind of forgiveness God offers us. It's a forgiveness that 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 covers the offense and then moves towards the offender in relationship. Look what He does with Peter. Um, he goes and he says, "Let's let's let's eat together." We you know he sits down is like let's share a meal. We know then that at that time sharing a meal with somebody was a high level symbol of fellowship. It was a big deal. And so Jesus saying, come with me, share, like, let's eat together, let's share fellowship. He moves towards Peter in relationship. I don't know that they, you know, Peter and Jesus had shared meals many times before his betrayal and his crucifixion and resurrection. This is the first time that it's recorded that they shared a meal afterward. Very, very significant. I also think it's important to note here Jesus accepts the risk of Peter failing again. This is not, hey, you're in now. Again, I, I, one of the problems when you talk about forgiveness, you say, this is how Jesus did it. And you're like, well, he's Jesus. I get it. Like, you know, like, it's, it, like Jesus knows what's gonna happen, but, he, but he, he, he embraces Peter and absorbs the risk. Peter messes up from this point on, I'm sure. There's some stuff in Galatians where, Peter and Paul got into it, and Peter was wrong. And so he absorbs the risk of that, of Peter letting him down again. And we'll, we'll get back to that, because that's, that's an important part for you and I. Um, now, when we talk about letting go of anger, like forgiving somebody because it's, it's good for us, that is true, and the Bible talks about that. The biblical idea of not letting your son go down on your anger is so you can move forward without this damaging your relationship and, and whatever um, sort of ministry or life you're sharing together. Um, right now, my youngest son is serving in a Young Life camp, and one of the things they always tell us is, hey, you can't let the sun go down on your anger. If there's a problem between two of you, you need to solve it because if you don't, it's going to fester and it's going to build. And, you know, everybody in this room, if you're married, you know that's true. If there's a couple of little offenses, if you don't talk about it, they kind of build up, build up, build up, build up. And then again, you're like, you know, you you have kind of a blow up and you don't know why. Um, But, but for us, like it's, it's that piece we do not, we can't let the sun go down on our anger, Um, but it's more than that. It's more than that. And it's important for us as we handle this. The scripture says in uh, John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the way you treat each other and not letting the sun go down on your anger matters a lot. Now, we can get stuck here for several reasons, stuck in sort of a, a, a forgiveness problem, if you will. We can say, This is not a big deal, that's one. It's usually rooted in fear because we don't wanna have an uncomfortable conversation with somebody. We keep putting it off and bitterness takes root. The Bible says in Ephesians four, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. This leads us to the second thing that Christians do. And it says, in your anger do not sin. Sometimes Christians think, just being angry is a sin. When we talk about self-control, which we're supposed to have, it's a fruit of the Spirit, we think that anger, if we're ever angry, that it's like, oh, we can't, that's not reconcilable with following Christ. That's not true. God gets angry. Jesus gets angry. Uh, And in fact, suppressing our anger is not healthy uh, and can lead to big problems down the road. Mark chapter 3 I'll share this with you, Uh, and then I want to do one more thing in John 21. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. So it's okay to be angry. How we handle it is what matters. There is a a godly anger that's appropriate. How we handle it matters. Now, the third thing about God's forgiveness, um, first, he seeks us out. Second, he comes to us in fellowship. Third, he restores the relationship. He gives a pathway for hope for things to be either where they were or better than they can be that passage where Jesus is talking to Peter and he says over and over again, he asks him the same question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That is what we call, they always classified as this, when Jesus reinstates Peter. He gives him back the roles and the responsibilities that he has before. So number one, God seeks us out. Number two, God moves towards us. And third, God restores the relationship. That is God's model of forgiveness. Um, I'm going to show a video clip here. This is from uh, a movie that came out when I was in high school, and I have to explain it a little bit. Some people, anybody here seen Hoosiers from the 80s? Okay, yeah, people my age and above. Okay, good. Here's what's going on in this, in this movie clip, and then after that, I'll, I'll say, up a couple, say a couple things, and we'll be done. Um, this is a scene where uh, a basketball player, a young man, is visiting his father in a a rehab hospital. His father is an alcoholic and has been an alcoholic for a long time. And the two of them have been estranged. The father has lived by himself in a a run-down old house. And the father has repeatedly done things to embarrass his son. And now he's in the hospital um, and he's drying out Uh, The son's basketball team is in the state playoffs, and they'll reference that. Uh, And look at the interaction that happens between the father and the son. Go ahead. It's a good thing I couldn't see the clip because every time I watch it, I get teared up. (laughs) So here's what I love about that. And uh, I was thinking about this message. Bob had asked me to speak when he was going to be gone, and this was just on TV. And I, I happened to catch this scene, and I thought this is one of the best examples I've ever seen in a movie about what we're talking about. The son seeks out his dad. He goes to see him. His dad can't even leave the rehab place because he says about the tournament, I wish I could be there. He, he goes and seeks out his dad. And I don't know if you caught this. this again, they've been living apart. But the dad says, son, the other night, he said, dad, it don't matter. Like, like I forgive you. And then he says, when this is over, you and me are going to get a house, both of us. And he moves towards him in relationship. And, and, he, and again, it's, it's, he sets he gives the, the dad hope of what they're going to be moving forward. They, did, they, did, they had not lived together. And it's also, he, uh, he absorbs the risk of, of his dad letting him down again. Now, in a movie, the movie ends, spoiler alert, they win you know, and then we never have to think about it again. Real life is a little more complicated than that. And I know for some of you, you see a clip like that and you, you have someone in your family that's dealt with substance abuse or some other thing. Um, and like, you know, you have to decide between you and God and probably with professional help, like what are the appropriate boundaries to set? But the model that God gives us is, he moves towards and he's restored. That's not always gonna happen here on earth. I wish it would, but we know that's not true. So how do we respond? Is there somebody that you need to seek out? Is there a conversation you need to have that makes you a little vulnerable? Is there somebody that you need to move towards in a relationship? The deeper the hurt, the more we need to recognize how much God has forgiven us and how much God loves us even at our worst, I would say especially at our worst. This and this alone truly gives us the ability to forgive. Now, there's two red flags here. Number one, you don't think you need forgiveness. That's like the Pharisee and the tax collector. God, thank you that I'm not like him. That's, that's a big red flag. If you're sitting here going, I'm good, you're not. And so just check yourself. Maybe get some time to reflect if that's where you're coming from. The other thing is, the other red flag would be if you don't think you're forgivable. Sometimes it's something that you've done something that you can't can't get past. You don't think you're forgivable, or something's been done to you, and it makes you feel not forgivable. I promise you this. God does not get tired of forgiving you. You can't wear him out. You can't wear him out. So I'm going to read one verse, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up. And remember, these things are all, these are, this is what God does, but it all comes out of who he is. This is from uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. This is one of my favorite verses. When you think about forgiveness and God restoring, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future amen